Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. A long-running favourite of the comedy scene, you might have seen Rosie Piper perform at the Sydney Opera House, Emmore Theatre, on Tonightly or at Splendour in the Grass. Or you could have just seen her at gigs all around the country, supporting the likes of Will Anderson and Zoe Coombs-Ma. More likely, though, you've seen her at a KFC somewhere shoveling popcorn chicken into her face with gay abandon. She performed this story in Sydney. I don't have a good history with being honest and vulnerable with women, whether they're existing or just aspirational partners. I uh, I struggle with the condition of being uncomfortably sincere, a fact that has caused many people who have seen me on the drug MDMA to say, too many DNMs. (laughs) Now... These uh, attempts to try and woo other women have often occurred on balmy summer nights. I think maybe because of that you know, intoxicating feeling that kind of exists in the air at that time of year. Or possibly because my subconscious thinks that my sweaty exterior might cut a more sympathetic figure. Either way, I've never quite pulled it off, uh, or at least pulled it off gracefully. Uh, in recent years, things have maybe flipped a little, uh, where maybe other women uh, haven't quite handled vulnerability with grace and aplomb around me. Uh, in January, I celebrated three years of being out as transgender, and my girlfriend uh, gave me a little gift, and a little card came with it, and the card read, my special wish on this special day for a special person is that one day she will no longer need the resilience she has developed. And then two days later, she broke up with me, and I thought, well, today's not that... F- <laughs> today's not that fucking day, then, is it? Luckily, I had recently been reminded of a quality I possessed that might help me deal with that. We got back together, relax. Uh, It was a tough six weeks, but the pull was just too strong. Uh, But I didn't always have the upper hand uh, like that. Uh, When I was 17, I decided to tell a girl who I liked that I had feelings for her. Uh, But I got nervous in the delivery of this news. So I like you came out more like, I like you. And needless to say, she did not like me back. Uh, But with that, our story begins, right? In the summer of 2003, I was 13 going on 14. uh, And my family and a friend's family were on holiday down the south coast in a place called Lake Conjola. Uh, It was the summer between year seven and eight for me. I had started at a high school in year seven where I knew about six people who were all like considered kind of pretty cool, part of the cool group. And uh, I'd come from a selective primary school though. So to the majority of people, I was a bit of an unknown entity, a wild card. Uh, high school kids, I think, can normally like suss you out pretty quickly. But this took some time for some reason. They were still trying to figure out my standing. You know, like, was I cool? Was I a loser? This story will answer that question. <laughs> While we were down at Lake Njola, as fate would have it, uh, so was the most attractive and therefore most popular girl in my grade at school. I didn't know that she would be down there at the time, but I just happened to run into her one day. Now, we'll call her Rachel, even though her real name is Camille. Bit of comedy for you. <laughs> I also happen to have Rachel's phone number, right? Because in those days, you just traded them on MSN Messenger like they were Pokemon cards, you know? Like, you never used them, but it felt good to have the whole set. So I sent Rachel slash Camille a bit of a Hail Mary message suggesting that we meet up and hang out. And to my surprise, she accepted the invitation. Now, she was way above my station, but I think it was a bit like, you know when you go overseas and there's someone that you know from your hometown there as well, and you would never hang out at home, but purely on the basis of like, oh, we're from the same place and now we're in another place. Isn't that crazy? Like, it's crazy that we're both here, right? Like, both of us in New York, one of the biggest tourist cities in the world. What are the chances of that? 
Anyway, following her miraculous agreement, uh, we decided to meet up on this bridge at sunset, uh, which, while admittedly overlooking a rather fetid-looking creek, was still going to be quite romantic, I think, uh, until I turn up and unannounced with her is another girl from our grade who I'd literally never spoken to. And for a second, my dumb adolescent brain thought, but what if? No, never, never. But as it turned out, she didn't really get in the way. She just kind of rode around on a bike near us while we talked. Uh, presumably, I think she was just there as sort of security, making sure I didn't, didn't try anything funny. And after hearing such conversational gems out of me as, so, what'd you get in the end of year maths exam? She realised that I was no threat and just rode away. So we're alone now and I decide that it's time to put the moves on the way a 13-year-old would. What I thought I would do would be to make up an ex-girlfriend because it shows her that I'm single but have experience. <laughs> I was basically trying to rely on my resume. So I know this was a terrible plan, but unfortunately at that age I hadn't quite developed I like you yet. So uh, this was all I had to work with. So how I decide to do this is to say the following. I haven't been alone with a girl since my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Terrible, right? It's kind of like a spoken word version of that yawn and arm around them thing that you do at the movies. It's like, welcome into my newly single lair. <laughs> Be not afraid. I don't know what I'm doing. And don't worry, it gets worse. Uh, because you see, as I start to say this, I realise how stupid it sounds and stumble my words instead telling her the truth, which was, I've never been alone with a girl. <laughs> Like you want to seal your social fate for the rest of high school? Just try telling the prettiest, most popular girl that you've never been alone with one and then just sit there as all her future boyfriends line up to throw sandwiches at you until graduation. You know, don't have a serviette for that mess you've made with your meat pie. Oh, that's fine. Just use my shirt. That's cool. Uh, and despite the fact that we were alone, right, first time for me, uh, you know, I felt like our entire grade, like our entire school was there laughing at me. And they may as well have been because predictably she told everybody to preserve her spot atop the social, to social totem pole. And uh, I tell you this because I have thought about this moment every single day for the last 19 years. <laughs> but that's not a satisfying ending. I don't want to leave it there, right? Uh, I, like, I, I want to give this story a satisfying conclusion, you see, because I, I grew up uh, as, a, as a very young person on uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, right? And too many times they would seemingly wrap up a story and then just create a whole new pile of unanswered questions in the process of doing that and then just try and get themselves out of that by having Ringo Starr say with a smirk that you could hear, but that's another story for another day. You know, let's, uh, let's flash forward to, uh, to December 2014, right? Myself, a few friends and my girlfriend are at the Meredith Music Festival. If you haven't been, Meredith, it's a camping festival in the town of, you guessed it, Meredith in Victoria. Uh, it's a beautiful rural setting, BYO alcohol. They have a no dickheads policy, which I've been flying under the radar of for years. Uh, actually, I got a tattoo of a tree there on my arm, but that was mostly just to offset the Big Day Out 2001 logo on my lower back. But essentially, Meredith is my happy place, right? And uh, on the second night, we were, we were there. We were standing in this beautiful natural amphitheater that they have. And uh, I may have ingested some substances that would cause me to enter too many D&M's territory. Uh, so in this heightened state of euphoria, I'm surrounded by the people that I love the most and watching the band Augie March play their big hit, One Crowd an Hour. And I had my arms wrapped around my girlfriend and it created this perfect storm of joy enough for me to look down at her and as she looked up at me, say... There's a sale on that cheese you like at Woolworths. I think we should get some of that when we get home. No, what I actually said was, uh, what I actually said was much worse. Uh, what I actually said was, you're the one, right? Which is, is uh, that's like, 
it's yuck, you know? Like, whether or not it's true, it's like a real soap opera thing to say. I feel like I needed to smear some Vaseline over our eyes before I said it. But, uh, I wake up the next day and remember what I've said and remember the circumstances uh, that caused me to say it. And I knew I wanted to say it then, but I couldn't be sure if, like, I really felt that way because it wasn't sober judgment, you know? And luckily, she didn't say anything at the time. So it was as if nothing had ever happened. I thought, fuck, we might be on here. Like, I think I might have gotten away with this. Flash forward a couple of days, and we're staying in an Airbnb in Melbourne, and I get out of the shower and walk back into the bedroom, naked, you're welcome, and she's sitting on the bed, and she proceeds to say to me, so during Augie March, when you told me I was the one, do you remember that? And I realise that this was a planned attack, because I was naked, so I couldn't just jump out the window and run. Or I could, but I might not have got that far. So she asked if I remembered, and I said, yes. And she asked me, how do you feel about that? So I thought of the safest possible answer, and I said, good. <laughs> and at that moment, I felt like I was 13 again, and like standing back on that bridge, like alone with a girl who I'd been so vulnerable with, just because I'd said something in an effort to advance our relationship, you know? And it felt, again, like everyone I knew was there watching and laughing about how I'd embarrassed myself, you know? And yet, for what felt like one crowded hour, we were the only ones in the room. But then I'll never forget, in this moment of nervous vulnerability and potential embarrassment for me, she looked up at me and she said, me too. And then she leaned in and just kissed me on the flaccid penis. And I thought, if there was ever a moment that you knew that someone was the one, then that is surely it. <laughs> or at least I thought it was until three years later when I came out to her as transgender and she broke up with me immediately because she said she was heterosexual and she now lives with her fiancé who is a woman. But that's another story for another day. I've been Rosie. Love you. Mean it. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy Queer Stories, consider supporting the project for as little as $1 per month on Patreon. The link is in the episode description. Follow Queer Stories on Facebook for updates and for insomnia rants and photos of my glorious dog, follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram.